Well, good evening, and welcome to Providence Baptist Church. Uh, it's a real joy that uh, we have so many visitors come out tonight. It's great to have you, and we're really blessed to have Clarence Jansen with Creation Ministries International uh, to come and to, to help to um, establish us and, and ground us further in, in our understanding of the authority and the sufficiency and inerrancy and inspiration of God's Word. Um, these things are so vitally important in our culture. The Word of God is truth. All of the Word of God is truth from, from Genesis to Revelation. And these are things that, that we, um, as God's people at, at all times, but arguably at this time, more than any other time in recent history, we need to be firm in our understanding of the nature of God's Word. And so this is a, an opportunity that we have. Um, the Lord has gifted, gifted Clarence to be able to uh, communicate these things to us. And so uh, we're going we're gonna to pray in a second, but I wanted to, to welcome um, Clarence and welcome you um, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So let's, uh, let's commit our time tonight to the Lord together in prayer. Almighty God, you are the internal, eternal one who created all things with your mighty word. Lord, all of creation, you created out of nothing. Lord, in six literal days, you made the heavens and the earth and everything contained therein. Lord, we bow in your awesome presence. We praise you, Lord, for your sovereign work in creation and in sustaining all things. Lord, we praise you that you have given us your word that reminds us and shows us who you are and who we are before you. And we pray, Lord, as your people this evening, we would respond in obedience and faith that we would be better equipped to be able to communicate your word and the power and the authority and inspiration of your words to, to those to whom we, we meet. And Father, we pray that, that you would help. We also pray for our children, Lord, who are facing an, an onslaught of, of evolutionary um, indoctrination. We pray, Lord, that, that you would help them to be grounded in your word and that another generation would go forward proclaiming your word to, a, to a, a world that so desperately needs to hear it. So, Lord, we pray that you would uh, work in and through um, your servant Clarence this evening and work in our hearts as we hear your word, as we respond with worship. Lord, to think that we know the God who created all things, that he sent his son to die for our sins, that we might receive the righteousness of Christ imputed to us. Lord, we praise you for this and we ask that this gospel would, that we are saved by, Lord, that this gospel would be, would be more beautiful tonight as we think about who you are in creation. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Should we do that? Well, it's a pleasure to be here with you folks tonight. I asked the pastor if he'd do this, but we'll, we'll do this together. My presentation is 140 slides, and if you're sitting probably anywhere from, say, the middle back, you might not be able to see it. So if you want to come a little bit forward, it's a Sunday evening service, so we can be a little bit more informal. So if you want to come a little bit forward, that would be tremendous. You can, you can see the slides. There's lots of text. There's lots of pictures. So you can see the, the screen. In fact, that would probably be better for you to be able to see that. So if you just want to take a, a minute now, just come on forward. It's okay. It's Sunday evening. Let's do that together, okay? So we'll give you a chance to do that. So while they're coming forward, just let me uh, express my gratitude to be able to share with you tonight. Tonight marks the end of our weekend here in Kelowna. So on Friday and Saturday, we were at the homeschool convention and we were with Creation Ministries International and representing our organization at the booth. And there was many people that came to visit us. And there's a few people here that I even know that were there. And so we had a wonderful time. And then this morning, we had the opportunity to speak in uh, Hope Baptist Church, Hope Fellowship Church in Kelowna here, and it was a tremendous opportunity. I must admit, this morning's service was in the 
Orchard Park Famous Players Theater. And if you've been in there, they have these big couches and stuff that are in there. And I was thinking, I better not be too boring because otherwise everybody's going to fall asleep on me and they'll all be snoring away. But it was a wonderful time. Great response from the people. And it is indeed a privilege for us, for my wife and I, to be here tonight. Creation Ministries International, we are a non-profit apologetics ministry, which means that we believe in and we teach the inerrant Word of God right from the very first verse. We actually have offices in seven different countries around the world, and currently our information is being translated into 40 different languages. Our website is actually very easy to remember. It is creation.com. And on the website, there are more than 11,000 different articles and video clips that are free. And I really encourage you to check it out. There's lots of great information on the website. Now, CMI is also what we call an information ministry, which means we want to get this faith-building information into our homes. One of the ways we do this is through Creation Infobytes. Well, what's Infobytes? Through your email... About every two weeks, you'll get just a little link and it's going to give you some highlighted articles or if something has gone on in the world, then we usually respond to it with an article and it comes on the Infobytes. It is a non-threatening way to get connected to CMI and it is wonderfully, it's a free tool. I'm going to ask the ushers if they would just very quickly pass out those clipboards. If you would like to sign up for the Infobytes, there's no, no cost or anything and you can unsubscribe anytime you want. I just simply ask you to put your name and your email address and if you'd like you can put your postal code now we know that your postal code is not connected to your email so why would we ask for it well CMI is in a hundred countries around the world and the only way that we can track people is through their postal codes because the email hotmail and whatever that's no way to tell what country they're in so this is one of the ways that we work at cmi to get the faith building information like i said into our homes so if you'd like to sign up for that if the ushers just get all those clipboards out there and then when they're done just bring them back to my wife that's a wonderful thing all right this is usually the time to introduce the Jansen family. So this is my wife and I, and we have five grown children. And since this picture was actually taken, we've been blessed with two grandchildren. So our oldest son, Joel, and his wife, Sherry, they have a little baby boy. And our daughter, Jocelyn, and her husband, Tim, they had a little baby girl. So now we get to do that grandparent thing. And I didn't know what it was all about until it happened to us. And it's a wonderful thing to have little grandchildren. And you can see that our, our crew is, is grown up now. By trade, I am a journeyman electrician in telecommunications. I did that actually for 11 years, and I worked for a company that maybe you've heard of. It's called BCTEL. It's now TELUS, but back then it was BCTEL, and I worked as a design engineer and software applications in Vancouver, and I also worked in the craft by doing installation and repair and so forth. So by trade, I am an electrician. And then for the next 25 years, I was a high school teacher, and I taught math and science, biology, chemistry, physics, all those wonderful things. And then last June, I retired from my teaching position, and I am actually currently just doing some uh, higher education right now and working a little bit more with CMI and doing some other development and writing with them. So that's basically what our story is about. My wife and I, we live in the booming big metropolis of Yarrow, B.C., now, how many know where Yarrow is? <laughs> Outstanding. You'll need to know Yarrow because it's in my presentation. If you don't know where Yarrow is, it's sort of on the west-west end of Chilliwack. Before, before Abbotsford, it's right in between those two things. So that's where we live. And this actually is a picture in our front yard. So this is where we come from. Now, because I was a teacher for so many years, we're going to do a little review. What's, yeah, let's say you have to be under 12 years old. What's the name of our website? What is it? Um, Creation.com. Creation All right. How many articles on the website? A lot. A lot. Excellent answer. Multiple choice. Now, what is the right answer? More than 11,000. Yeah. So I really encourage you to check out the website. You will be blessed because you can ask the website any question and you'll be able to be given some information. All right, how are those clipboards doing? Just about got them all? Well, we're gonna start. And if the clipboards can just go to the back, that's terrific. 
My presentation tonight actually comes from Ephesians 4, verse 12, equipping the saints for the building up of the body of Christ. That's exactly what I'd love to do with you folks tonight. I want to encourage you in your faith that we can trust the Word of God right from the very first verse, and hopefully I'll be able to answer some of those questions which maybe you're just not so sure about. I'm not sure about how this works. That's my first presentation. Then we'll take a little break for a few minutes. You can have a look at some of the resources. And then afterwards at about maybe uh, 7.15 or so, I'm going to give a second presentation, which is on dinosaurs. And I know that's what the kids came for. So that presentation is what about those dinosaurs and where do they fit in the Bible? It's a very interactive uh, presentation and you're going to enjoy that because we're going to have a little contest to pit the kids versus the parents and see who's smarter about dinosaurs. It's going to be wonderful. All right, let's get started then. Imagine you're lying on the floor and it's dark and you're slightly unconscious and you roll over and you see this. Well, that's not very good, is it? And then it comes back to you that this is what happened. And that's not very good either. So what do you do? You phone this gentleman and you ask him to come over and he spends a few minutes and he looks at your situation and he says, yeah, sorry, I can't help you. You're thinking, well, why not? And then you see he's got this bright red toolbox. You say, hey, brother, use your toolbox. And he says, well, that's the problem. You see, I have no tools and I don't know what to do. And you're probably thinking to yourself, well, that's great. How can you fix my electrical problems with no tools? Let's take this simple toolbox analogy now to another level. What happens if you're at work one day and a colleague says to you, hey, you're a Christian. If there is a loving God, then why is there evil and suffering in the world? Or maybe you're a homeschool mom and we met a lot of them yesterday and they ask you this question. Uh, Mom, where do dinosaurs fit in the Bible? Well, we're going to answer that one later. Or maybe you've worked with young people like I have, and they ask you this really good question, how can we see distant stars if the universe is young? Well, these are very important questions, and they're going to need some solid answers, and so what do you do? You're going to go to your creation knowledge toolbox. Well, back in the early 1990s, that's exactly what my situation was. My students and my colleagues were asking me some very difficult questions, but my toolbox at that time was really quite empty. I didn't have a lot of tools. I didn't have a lot of good answers. And I had to ask myself the following question. How am I going to answer all these questions? Because folks, here it is. You can't teach what you don't know. Think about that. I wanted to be able to answer the questions and I wanted to help other people, but before I could do that, I needed to do something very important. I needed to build a solid theological foundation. And that foundation is actually founded in the book of Genesis because Genesis sets the scene for the big picture for the rest of the Bible. We all know this. The creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. But in fact, there's much more because many doctrines of Christianity are actually established in the book of Genesis. Let's look at a few of them. The doctrine of God, the Son, the Holy Spirit, that man is made in God's image, not that of a primate. The doctrine of original sin, we're going to look at that one in a few minutes. The doctrine of salvation is in the book of Genesis. And this last one here is being highly contested today by many people in our culture. What really is the doctrine of a holy marriage? You see, the book of Genesis is actually very critical because these doctrines are at the very foundation of our Christianity. Now, you may be familiar with this building. It's in Shanghai, China, and it's very famous but for all the wrong reasons. Why? Well, one day, it just fell over. Why is that? Because it had no foundation. Now, I'm not a structural engineer, but I can tell you that putting a couple of concrete tubes in the dirt is not a solid foundation for such a large building, is it? And so it is with our faith. Folks, do we believe in the absolute authority of the Word of God to build that solid foundation? And do we fully understand the message of the Gospel? In 2 Timothy, it says that all Scripture is inspired by God. 
and is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. Well, if the Bible is the inspired word of God, then this also applies to the book of Genesis, where it clearly states there was a literal six-day creation and a global flood. And if God is the God of truth and he cannot lie, I want to ask you this question tonight. Folks, do you want people teaching your children and your grandchildren things that are not true? Or maybe a better question tonight would be this. Are you equipped to be able to discern and then refute that false teaching? Or maybe tonight you'd just be a little bit skeptical and say, oh, come on, Clarence, get over it. Is an uncompromising biblical foundation really so important? Isn't just knowing and loving God enough? Does believing in evolution in millions of years really change the gospel message? Well, we're going to have a look at that tonight. About 10 years ago, the Barna Research Group, they found out that on average, 70% of our children are leaving the church within four years after graduating from high school. So I want to ask you this question. Do you want your children to be one of the seven or one of the three that is remaining? I think we need to ask this question. Why are our young people and many people today leaving the church? I think there's four reasons we need to acknowledge. Number one, the church and Christianity are under severe attack. Just watch the nightly news. What's going on in the world today in churches? The authority of Scripture is being rejected and the influence of the church on society is waning. The overall moral and cultural decay of society, my goodness, look at the amount of sin that is so easily available on TV and on the internet to the youngest of children with no filtration and no supervision, and we wonder what's going on with our kids today. And then the last one is the rise of atheism, there is no God, and then the rejection of God as the Creator. You see, there's a tremendous spiritual battle that's going on here, and there's a serious disconnect that's happening as many of our young people are leaving the church today. Well, what then is the end result of atheism? Well, here it is. If there is no God, then there's no accountability, and we now decide what is right and wrong. What does this look like then when we compare creation versus evolution? Well, creation is based on the Word of God. This is God's truth as recorded in the Scripture. Evolution, however, is based on the Word of man. This is man's truth that he has made up. I believe there are many people who are at a theological crossroads in their own faith today when it comes to this very foundation. Folks, who are you trusting? Are you trusting in the Word of God? Or are you slipping now into trusting into the Word of man? If we don't get this very first theological foundation straight in our minds, then all the rest of our theological foundations are going to do what? They're going to crumble and disappear until we have no foundation. I want to take about 15 minutes now and I want to look at some of the critical foundations of Christianity. We're going to compare what does the Word of Man say, what does the Word of God say, and then we'll come up with some conclusions. Let's start off with the origin of the cosmos. Well, according to the secular or the atheistic worldview, we started out with nothing. I didn't really know how to draw nothing, so that little dot there is going to represent nothing. And then 15 billion years ago, there was this cosmic Big Bang, and then over billions of years, this nothing eventually turned into everything. And in this atheistic account, the stars evolved billions of years before the earth came into being. All right, what does the Bible say? Well, we all know Genesis 1.1, where it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And in the biblical account, the earth was created before the stars, and they're only about three days apart in age. We're going to stop here for a minute so we can fully grasp what's going on. One of these accounts says billions of years, the other one says three days, and it's very obvious that the order is reversed. So one of these accounts must be wrong. Folks, is it even possible to believe that Scripture is so far off on the timing and can't even get the order straight? 
Because if Genesis is not true, then it begs a maybe an even more important question. If Genesis is not true, well, what else in Scripture is not true? Let's have a look at the origin of humans. This is kind of important because it includes you and I. Where did we come from? From an atheistic or evolutionary worldview, on their timeline, they say this is the beginning of time, this is the Big Bang, and this is where we are today. And on this timeline, man appears somewhere about here. So, if billions of years are true, then that means that man appears near the end of the timeline. Alright, what does the Bible say? Mark chapter 10. These are the words of the Lord Jesus himself. He said, from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. From one man, he made every nation of mankind. So what do these two verses look like when we compare them to a biblical creation timeline? Again, here's the beginning of time and here's the present. Now, where on the timeline does man come in? Does he come in here? No, the scripture is very clear that man was created on day six of the creation. And if we add up all of those very carefully recorded genealogies in Genesis chapter five, and even if there is gaps between King David and the next guy, and if we add up all those numbers, at very best, with wiggle room, you're only going to get thousands of years. But certainly not millions and billions of years. And this timeline then is in agreement with Jesus' own words that we read in Mark chapter 10. How about the origin of plants and animals? Now, evolutionists say that all these perfectly uh, formed atoms, they came about. Friends, I taught chemistry for 25 years, and I have no idea how you can go from nothing to atoms, because they are actually incredibly complex things. But somehow, these atoms appeared. And then, at one point in time, 80 billion random atoms somehow miraculously went from being completely disorganized to organized. And then they also had to jump from being non-living to living. And they had to have self-repairing and self-replicating capabilities already pre-built in before they jumped to life. And when all of these miracles came together, these 80 billion atoms formed what? The simplest life form on earth, one bacteria. And then over billions of years and mutations, somehow these bacteria became every living creature on earth. And this is taught as a fact to our children today in the school system. I want to take one minute and I want to just refute this chart of evolution. In fact, refute the whole theory of evolution with this one thing. The whole process is genetically impossible because of the following. In order to mutate from a microbe to a man, and by the way, if anybody says to you that evolution is an ape-like creature to a man, you say, no, no, that's not evolution. Evolution is you got to go from a bacteria to a man. That's evolution. In order to do that, you need to do something important. You need to gain genetic information. What does this look like? Well, I've shown the bacteria to have an encyclopedia's worth, but it's really only about a hundred pages of genetic information. What do you need to become a human being? Do you know that you need to gain a thousand encyclopedias worth of genetic information? And they say that this happens through mutations, but this is impossible because mutations result in a loss of meaningful genetic information. You can't be gaining genetic information if you're constantly losing meaningful genetic information through mutations. This diagram actually refutes the whole concept of evolution from microbe to man. Again, what does the Bible say? We know in Genesis chapter 1, God made the beasts of the earth after their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. All right, what's the most important word or words that talk about creatures in this verse? What's the words? Kinds. 
What does this look like? Well, this is what we call the creation orchard. These are God's created kinds. We've got the dog kind, monkey kind, bird kind, and so forth. And from these very genetically rich creatures and through genetic variation, not evolution, we have all the different types of creatures that we see today. And notice, there's no jumping between kinds. Dogs don't become pigs. Why not? Because they don't have the genetic information to become a pig. In fact, <coughs> excuse me, the original dog kind was probably something similar to our modern day wolf population. And through genetic variation and human breeding, we have all the different dog kinds from the Chihuahua there to the Great Dane. But notice two things. Rich in genetic diversity, less genetic diversity, but they're all still what? Dogs, because that's the only genetic information that they have to become something which is a dog. And this is a much more believable actual scientific explanation. Let's swing over to the origin of sin and death. This is one of the critical foundations that's missed by some folks who say, well, what difference does it make if the world is millions of years old? It doesn't affect the Bible. Let me ask you this very important question. When did sin enter in the world? When did sin enter? Well, Romans 5 very clearly says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all have sinned. Well, why did death enter in the world? Romans 6, for the wages of sin is death. Folks, Scripture is very clear here that death only came into the world when sin came in the world, and it entered in through one man. Because Adam's name is mentioned in Romans 5 verse 14, 1 Corinthians 15, 20 and 21, and it wasn't through generations of sins of men, it was through one man, Adam. Now, atheists, they know on how critical the doctrine of original sin is, and that's one of the reasons why Genesis is the most attacked books in all of the Bible. Why is that? Because if the doctrines in Genesis can be minimized, the message of the gospel is actually compromised. I want to show you how that works. Now, scientists have found that animals have been fossilized, and some of these guys died of terrible diseases and even violent deaths. And so, we also know that they found human fossil remains, and they, using conventional dating methods, are supposed to be hundreds of thousands of years old. But the point is this. We see death and suffering in the fossil record. And so, how then... Can the fossil record be millions and millions of years old? Because that's what we're taught. And yet the Bible say that the creation is not millions and billions of years old. Well, let's see if we can figure out then where do death and suffering and millions of years actually fit into the biblical narrative? Now, some people, what they want to do is they want to take death, disease, and suffering, which we see in the fossil record, and they want to put it before day one of the creation. This is called the gap theory. And they believe that maybe somewhere there was this creation that happened, and this is when Satan and about one-third of his angels, they rebelled against God, and God dismissed them out of heaven. But there's two problems with this theory. That means that there are two completely separate creations, and of course, the Bible doesn't support this at all, and it clearly violates that the wages of sin, which happened back here, is the result of death, not through the fossil record being before day one. Well, where then do death and suffering fit in? Other folks want to do this. They want to either put it between day one and day two of the creation, or maybe between verse one and verse two of Genesis chapter one. This is called the long age theory. But that's not what the scripture says. The scripture says there is evening and morning, one day, and it was what? It was good. How can death, disease, and suffering be good? It's not. Well, maybe we can put it somewhere between days two to six. After each of these days, God said it was good. In fact, twice on day three. Well, maybe we can put it after day six. 
No, after day six, God said it was what? Very good. It was. So it's only after the fall, which is the sin, that death, disease, and suffering actually fit in. Let me ask you this question very graciously. Where do millions and billions of years fit into the biblical account of creation? I very graciously would like to say nowhere. It doesn't fit in anywhere into the narrative. What would the Garden of Eden look like if there actually was death before Adam's sin? We'd find the Garden of Eden on a whole bunch of dead things. Because we would find death, suffering, diseases like cancer and osteoporosis in the fossil record. Folks, if this is very good, I don't know what would be very bad. That doesn't make any sense. I love this illustration of the Garden of Eden. There's Adam and Eve. Oh, Adam, what a perfect world filled with thorns and thistles in the fossil record. But that's not what the Bible says. Genesis chapter 3, verse 17 clearly says, Cursed is the ground because of sin, and now it shall grow for you both thorns and thistles. So, death and suffering and diseases and thorns and thistles before original sin clearly violates the scripture. But here's the most important point. You simply cannot have evolution without death and suffering and millions of years, period. So, I want you to consider tonight, if you want your children and your grandchildren to be taught evolution and millions of years, you're going to have to accept that it was death and suffering that led to man. Now, there's many people today in our churches that believe something called theistic evolution. They believe there was a God who created things, but he used the mechanisms of death, disease, and suffering to bring about man. But these are actually two very opposing theologies. Theistic evolution also does not believe in an original sin or a historical Adam. However, if you want your children and your grandchildren to be taught creation and original sin, then you can teach them that it was man's sin that led to death. And you see on how those two things are reversed. In fact, if there was no historical Adam or original sin, then why did Christ have to die? Very important question. This is the summation of the prominent atheist and champion of evolutionary teaching today. This is Dr. Richard Dawkins. He makes a profound statement that you need to see. He said, the original sin is supposed to be committed by Adam, who as we now know never existed. So we now have the preposterous idea that Jesus was sacrificed. The scapegoat was sacrificed for the sin of a non-existent forebearer. Folks, is it possible that our young people today have believed this horrible atheistic teaching? And that Christ's atonement is just some sort of a preposterous idea. It's not worth believing anymore. And they just walk away from the church. Here's a visual summation of what we've been talking about. I want you to see on how the three corners of the triangle are completely dependent on each other. Now here's a little aside. This is my takeaway for this presentation. If you learn nothing else tonight, I hope that you see how this works. I want you to see what happens if we replace a literal six-day biblical creation with any form of evolution or millions of years, this is what's going to happen. Number one, there was no historical Adam, which means then that sin did not enter into the world through one man, which makes the Apostle Paul a liar, because there was then no original sin. Now here it is. If this is the situation, then that means that Jesus Christ cannot be the kinsman redeemer. What does it mean to be the kinsman redeemer? You have to be connected through the bloodline. Kin. Jesus has to be connected to the man who committed the original sin or there is no redemption for our sins there is no redemption, then that means then that there is no atonement for our sin. 
Folks, if there's no atonement for our sin, there is no gospel message. That means that we are most to be what? Pitied. Because we have no hope. That is incredibly bad news. But I want to share with you tonight some very good news. And the good news is this. Folks, there has to be a literal six-day creation. Why? Because there has to be historical Adam. And sin did enter in through the one man. Um, as recorded in Romans chapter 5, there was original sin. Jesus Christ is the kinsman redeemer, which means then that there is atonement for our sin, and we do have a gospel message that is so desperately needed in our churches and in our community and our culture today. Amen? Amen. We need to share the message of the gospel. Do you see now that evolution in millions of years compromises the message of the gospel till it cripples it so it's not there anymore? Folks, if the message of the gospel is gone, then all the rest of the doctrines of the Bible are just going to crumble away until we have nothing. We need to have a literal six-day creation. I want to switch gears for just a few moments now. Let's discuss two very important evolutionary and scientific terms. The first word is called uniformitarianism. A little bit of a big word, but simply it means this. The present is the key to the past. So, in other words, the systems and processes that we see today always occurred the same way in the past. Let me give you a little example. Here it is, folks. This is downtown Yarrow. You've been waiting for this all night. There's downtown Yarrow, Main Street. We don't have any traffic lights. We just have two sets of stop signs. So if you were to come to downtown Yarrow anytime between about maybe October to about May, this is literally on how busy it is in downtown Yarrow. I took this picture at 4 o'clock on a Sunday afternoon. And many of you are thinking now, wow, there's nothing going on in Yarrow. My goodness. But if you come to Yarrow in the summer... It's busy. That's an exaggeration. <laughs> I didn't know how to take a picture of three and a half kilometers of traffic trying to get through one stop sign. What is everybody doing in the summertime in Yarrow? Who can tell me? Yeah, Cultist Lake water slides. You got to go through Yarrow to get to the biggest water slides in Western Canada or go to the lake or go to the golf course. So by looking at the rate of traffic in downtown Yarrow, you can't tell whether or not we are super sleepy and we are so boring, or is it crazy busy? Why? Because it's constantly changing throughout the year. And so it is with geological formations. Let's swing down to the Grand Canyon for just a few moments and let's have a look in Arizona. What's going on? Here's the evidence. we got this Grand Canyon here, and we have the Colorado River flowing at the bottom. So, according to uniformitarianism, at today's rate of erosion, it's going to take the Colorado River millions of years to carve it out. You see, the assumption is that today's rate of erosion is the same as it always was in the past. But something very important happened in Washington State, in 1980. There's enough people here old enough to remember. Folks, what happened in Washington in 1980? Something blew up. Mount St. Helens blew up. And it spewed millions of tons of hot rock and ash and lava all over the place and buried 65 square kilometers around the mountain. And then over the next several months, there was other eruptions of these things called pyroclastic flow. And they built up this rock layer all around. And then on March the 19th, 1982, there was this huge mud flow that came from a lake that was formed from the original eruption and it breached the dam and a whole bunch of mud and water just came crushing down and it wiped out a whole area beside Mount St. Helen. And it formed a 100 foot solid rock canyon called the Little Grand Canyon of Washington State. This canyon is 1 40th the size of the Grand Canyon in Arizona. But here's the thing. This whole thing was carved out of the rock in one day. And at the bottom of the canyon, we see the little Toodle River. Now, let's have a close-up of those different layers there. Let's focus on that middle layer there. Whoops. 
If you look at that middle layer, you see all those thousands of layers of sedimentation. Now, if you didn't know any better, you'd say, well, that takes millions of years for all that sedimentation to be piled up. But it didn't. That was deposited only three hours, not millions of years. And the canyon, like I said, was carved out of the rock in only one day. Now, it would be the same thing for the rate of erosion. If someone wasn't there to actually record this, you'd think that the Toodle River, I like that name, by the way. Let's work together with this. Here's the Toodle River. Toodle, toodle. It's going to take the Toodle River a million years to carve out that canyon. But it didn't. It only took one day. Now, here's the important point. It wasn't the river that formed the canyon. Oh, it was the canyon that formed the river. So today, when it rains, rains down the sides of the canyon and that is what forms the Toodle River. Do you see any similarities? Is it possible that maybe the Grand Canyon was not formed by uniformitarian mechanisms of slow deposition and erosion? What would happen if there was a catastrophic global worldwide flood as recorded in Genesis chapter 6 when millions of creatures would be captured in these layers, they'd be fossilized, and then a time later when the global runoff hit, huge areas of the Grand Canyon be wiped out, the canyons formed, and today all the evidence that we have is simply the Grand Canyon with the Colorado River flowing at the bottom of the canyon. All right, let's understand science and religion. Science is based on experiments, observations, and has to be repeatable in a lab. And this is what we call operational science. This is very different, though, than just history. History is events that happened in the past. Let's bring in religion. It's an organized system of belief based on faith. So, tonight, let's do a little experiment. Let's put evolution to the test. Is evolution operational science? We are being bombarded today with the concept that evolution is science and creation is religion. Let's see what happens. Operational science is in the present, but the millions and billions of years of evolution, that occurred only in the past. Operational science is repeatable. I do not mean to be disrespectful to anybody tonight, but has anybody recently seen ape-like creatures turning into human-like creatures, and can that process be repeated in a lab? It's non-repeatable. Operational science is observable, but the millions and billions of years of evolution are not observable because we don't live long enough to see them happen. So, the only plausible conclusion from this very simple test here is this. Evolution is not operational science. Why? It's not observable. It cannot be tested and repeated through experimentation. This is Dr. Michael Roos. He is very much an outspoken anti-creationist, but he makes a very important point several years ago. Dr. Roos said this, evolution is a religion. You see, he understands that both Christianity and creation and evolution are based on what? Your faith. And these are things that happened in the past. They are both sets of interpretations based on your presuppositions, which is known as your worldview. That's what it's based on. It's not science. It's a faith-based religion. In a nutshell, this is what's really happened in the last 200 years. The Word of God used to be authoritative. However, through the rise of teaching of evolution and the subsequent rise of atheism, in today, these two have done what? They've reversed. The word of man is going to have an impossible time explaining things like a virgin birth, walking on the water, raising the dead, any miracle. It's impossible to tell them because these are acts of miracles, just like creation. Timothy says this, Guard what's been entrusted to you. Avoid the worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and thus gone astray from the faith. So folks, I want to ask you again tonight, are you putting your trust in the Word of God, or has it slipped now into trusting in the Word of man? The great 19th century preacher Spurgeon, this is what he says about putting our trust in man. He said this, 
forsake it that you and I are to take our Bibles and shape and mold our belief to the ever-shifting teachings of so-called scientific men. What folly is this? What Spurgeon really saying here? He said, folks, you can't put your trust in science because science is constantly changing. What is science today may not be true 15 years from now, but the Word of God is what? It's true today and tomorrow and yesterday and forever. It will always be true. About 50 years after Spurgeon passed away, there's another Charles that came on the scene. His story, however, ends with devastating results because he actually compromised the Word of God with evolutionary teachings. Let's just wind back for a minute and see what happened. Well, the young Templeton, he, pro, he rose to prominence with a dynamic young speaker that you might recognize there. If you're old enough, you'd see that too. Dr. Billy Graham, who passed away about a year ago. And these two men, they spoke in crusades all over North America and won thousands of people to Christ. What you might not know is that Charles Templeton also founded Youth for Christ, which is still in existence today, and Billy Graham was their very first evangelist. But something happened because these two men ended up on very different pathways. What happened? Templeton attended Princeton Theological Seminary, where they had taken evolution in millions of years and put it into their Old Testament courses as being a fact. And it was through this teaching that caused what I'm going to say Templeton's slippery slide into hopelessness and then eventual atheism. Now, before Templeton died, he wrote this book, Farewell to God, My Reasons for Rejecting the Christian Faith. Folks, this man, he crusaded with Billy Graham. This is his conclusion before he died. He said, I believe there's no supreme being with human attributes, no God in the biblical sense, but all of life is a result of timeless evolutionary forces over millions of years. I believe that in common with all living creatures, we die and cease to exist as an entity. That is incredibly sad. Folks, Charles Templeton died a self-proclaimed atheist, but I'm not so sure the moment that he died, he still was an atheist. May it be our prayer that God would not even allow us to start on that slope which leads towards atheism, and more importantly, that we would pray that God would protect our children today, our incredibly vulnerable youth, and the generations not yet born. Amen? Amen. I trust that you see that a biblical foundation is critical. Well, let's spend the last few minutes of our time on the first talk here at looking some evidences for creation. Let's begin by giving you some of those allegorical tools in your toolbox and to encourage you to say we can trust in the Word of God. First one, let's look at polystrate fossils. Here are two examples. The one on the right-hand side is from the Cumberland Basin in Nova Scotia. What do we got? We got a fossilized tree trunk sitting in thousands of layers of sedimentary rock. Is it possible for a tree to stand there for thousands and millions of years as the sedimentation slowly builds up on it? That thing's going to die. They have found hundreds of these polystrate fossils all over the world, and they all have the same thing. Fossilized up and down in thousands of layers of sediment. What does this mean? It means that there was probably a global flood where the sedimentation came, quickly buried these things, and then they fossilized. This is evidence of a global flood and that the world is not millions and billions of years old. How about some ancient animals that maybe turn out to be not so ancient? Back in 1961, some dinosaur bones were discovered in Alaska. They turned out to be this creature here. But here's the catch. Many of these bones were only partially permineralized. That means they were raw bone. Bone that had not yet turned into stone or fossil. And these bones were not buried deep frozen in the ground. They were nearer the surface. Well, this is a very big problem because a dinosaur bone does not have a fancy little red tag that tells us on how old it is. But unprotected, unfossilized bones are simply not going to last for millions of years. And according to the evolutionary timetable, these particular creatures died out 80 million years ago. Well, that's not possible if their bones that are raw are still around. 
Now you may say, that's amazing. Let's go look at Dr. Mary Schweitzer's discovery. She's a paleontologist at North Carolina State University. Back in 2005, she released to the world that she had cut into the giant femur of a Tyrannosaurus rex that she had found in Montana. Now what would cause someone to cut into this big bone? Well, when she got this bone, she's, this thing stinks. Something weird's going on here. She cut into the bone, scooped out the bits, put on a slide, treated it, stuck it underneath the microscope. This is what she found. Branched blood vessels with red blood cells still intact. Dr. Schweitzer said, yeah, this is not possible. She did this experiment 17 times in a row before she finally admitted those are red blood cells from a Tyrannosaurus rex. In an interview, Dr. Schweitzer said, when you think about it, the laws of chemistry, and biology, and everything else that we know say that it should be gone. It should be degraded completely. Well, no kidding. Dr. Schweitzer also discovered actual stretchy ligaments of a Tyrannosaurus Rex. You can go to the creation.com website and you can see a video of a person with a little set of forceps, tweezers, and they're going, ee, 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 showing the elastic nature that's still found in these ligaments. Folks, this evidence is very contradictory to the idea that these guys died out 65 million years ago. Since this initial discovery, more than 40 other samples around the world of blood vessels and tissues and ligaments have been found in these numerous fossilized bones. Now, I'd like to ask this question. Why is this kind of information not being taught to our children in the school system today? You know why? Is it possible that this is a death blow to evolution and millions of years? These discoveries came out almost 15 years ago. Many people have never even seen them. And many people in the scientific community, they just have no idea how to deal with this. Why? Because it doesn't fit into their uniformitarian worldview that these guys died out 65 million years ago and the world has to be 4.65 billion years old. It doesn't work for them. Why don't we look at the fossilization process? This is what's being taught today in our school system and in the textbooks. Fish dies goes to the bottom and then very slowly over thousands and millions of years the sediment finally builds up and fossilizes him but folks really is this really what happens where we live near the fraser river when a fish dies he floats belly up all the birds come along and peck their eyeballs out and then everybody else comes along and starts chewing on these things and they all fall apart so something's very wrong here. How did any fish ever become fossilized? And all of these little buddies at the same time, and notice they're all jumbled up there. They're not all nicely stacked straight, and they just sit there and wait for it to happen. Here's a more credible explanation. Fish is swimming along in the ocean, and then during the global flood, the deep ocean trenches are lifted up. Genesis 7:11 causes a tremendous amount of turbidity and sedimentation completely comes and overwhelms this little guy and traps him there. But two things. Number one, he's sealed off. And number two, no one can nibble on him, and he's intact. And then over a very short period of time, his bones and his scales will become fossilized. Now maybe you're a little bit skeptical tonight, and you're saying, uh, come on, Clarence, is there any kind of evidence for this rapid burial and fast fossilization business? I'm setting you up, okay? How about a fossilized pickle? How about a fossilized foot still inside the cowboy boot? Folks, fossilization does not take millions of years. It simply takes the right conditions. Here's one of the most famous fish fossils in the world. A fish eating another fish. That has got to be a rapid burial and a fast fossilization. How about this one? Here is an ichthyosaur buried in sediment while giving birth. That has got to be a rapid burial and a fast fossilization. You see, this evolutionary thinking that it takes millions of years for fossilization to occur has become so promoted and ingrained in people's minds through teachers and textbooks and media and advertising and movies and all the rest of the stuff that the seeds of doubt about a literal six-day creation and a global flood already deeply planted into our young people's brains today. 
And then when they go to university, they can't comport these things anymore with what Scripture says, and they walk away from the church. The last one is irreducible complexity. It's my favorite, because it deals with biology. So we always look at the mousetrap, because the mousetrap works real good. Mousetrap's got five parts. Platform, spring, hold-down bar, the hammer that does the deed, if you know what I'm talking about. And there's the catch. That's where you put your peanut butter and cheese, whatever delicacy you want to catch the little rodent with. Now, how many parts does it take to make a mousetrap? Five. How many need to be there and working always at the same time? All five. If you take any one of those away, you don't have a mousetrap. Let's take this analogy now to biology. This is the simplest living organism on Earth. This is the mycoplasma bacteria. Geneticists have determined this thing has got 475 genes. Uh-oh, what's a gene? Well, let's think about this. Gene contains genetic information, right? Provides the coding, yes, to make the parts for the bacteria. So a gene is sort of like a part, if you wish. Now, they've determined that 382 of those genes, or parts, are critical. If one of them is missing, the bacteria doesn't exist. How many was it with a mousetrap? One out of five. This is one out of 382. I'm going to show you the most mind-boggling diagram you've ever seen in your life. I can say that because I caught, taught chemistry. Here it is. See that? Wow, that's amazing. These are the bits and pieces that make that microscopic bacteria turn its food into energy. Let's zoom in a little bit. Folks, look at this cycle. Look at all these Look how precise this is. Look how complicated. If you're missing any one of these things, it doesn't work. Folks, I very graciously would like to ask, this came about by random evolutionary chances? This is just simply not possible. How much more complex is a human being than a microscopic bacteria? Do you see what's actually going on here? Irreducible complexity is the fatal weakness for evolution, but it makes complete sense if we believe in an all-powerful, all-knowing Creator God who knows that all those bits and pieces have to be there and working together at the same time. We are living in an age of full-out indoctrination and promotion of evolutionary teaching, and yet the scientific evidence is clearly not supporting the evolutionary theory. Let's go back for a moment to my empty creation knowledge toolbox. I mean, well, whatever happened? Well, about 20 years ago, my wife went to the second-hand store in Abbotsford, and she bought my very first issue of the Creation magazine. I read that from cover to cover, and being a biology guy, I was hooked. So my sweet wife went back and did, she bought all the other copies. We read those things, and it was at that time that we decided we needed to get a subscription to the Creation magazine. Remember that we had five children? Our youngest son was only three when we started the Creation magazine, and our family was raised for their entire lives on the Creation Magazine. Do you remember the beginning when I said, how am I going to answer all these questions? Folks, this is how I answered it. Those are the actual covers over the years. Do you see what was happening? In reading all these magazines and learning all this information, I was adding tools to my allegorical toolbox. I was gaining knowledge and basically I was equipping myself to answer the questions to my students and to my colleagues and to help my children work their way through those difficult times. And all of this stuff points to what? The evidence of an all-powerful, all-knowing Creator God. Well, we've covered a lot of stuff here tonight already. Let's just take a few minutes and do some very important review and some conclusions. Number one, Genesis is real history. It's not poetry. It's not allegory. It's real history. Why is that? Because the Bible is our authority, not man. We need to build that solid doctrinal foundation because we need to have the answers to remove the barriers that are preventing people from coming to Christ today. And folks, we need to equip the church, whether you are young or you're a senior. 
Folks, if you're a senior today, you have a tremendous opportunity to instill in the lives of children and young people today because they want to know truth. Do you know that after teaching for 25 years, I can say with a little bit of authority that the number one thing that our young people are looking for today is authenticity. They want to see whether or not you actually believe what you say you believe. They're looking for truth. And folks, we need to provide that for them. Why is that? Because we have to reverse the trend of our young people leaving the church today. I want to end with a very difficult question for you tonight. Folks, are you ready with answers? Can you answer those difficult questions? Because I would suggest this. If we cannot answer the questions for our children and our grandchildren, they're going to go somewhere else to find the answer. And I have a feeling that the secular universities are not going to give them biblical truth. Can I take a few minutes and help you to become equipped? I have come to appreciate the number one equipping tool is the Creation Magazine. Why is that? We produce the Creation Magazine four times a year. Folks, Maybe tonight you're thinking to yourself, you know, Clarence, I appreciate maybe what you've been saying tonight, but you've got to understand this. My faith is solid. I love and serve God. I have believed in the creation. I understand the message of the gospel, and I'm connected in a church that still preaches the word of God. You know what I say to that? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that we have churches that want to preach God's truth. But you know what? If we're really honest, we can probably think of maybe a son, a daughter, friend, grandchild, neighbor somebody from this church who's walked away from the truth they've walked away from the church and they could start out by reading this very very important message about the creation and the truth that's contained in scripture folks i'm not a salesperson at all like i said i was a chemistry teacher but i do want to introduce you for just a few moments to the creation magazine a subscription of the magazine costs $7.50, automatically deducted every three months from either your bank account or a credit card or from uh, a checking account. Now, often when people come from charitable organizations, they compare their charity to coffee. So for one cup of coffee a day, you can support a child. I think that's fantastic. Do you know how much the Creation Magazine costs? It's one cup of coffee a month. That's less than a medium Tim Hortons latte. Folks, is your children's truth worth one cup of coffee a month? The Creation Magazine is 56 pages. There's no advertising in there. It contains information on all kinds of different subjects. It's family-friendly, so you don't have to have a PhD to understand it. There's things in there for children. This is a very important piece of literature and here's the thing it comes into your home every three months so you're constantly being given this information a subscription costs 750 and you get a hard copy which is the magazine but because we live in a digital age we've decided to include in one subscription five digital copies that you can share on devices with other friends or your family and tonight if you want to sign up for this We'd be delighted from CMI to give you your first copy of the magazine for free. And I have about 10 different uh, creation DVDs. You can choose one of those DVDs for free. You can start reading. And then in a couple of months from now, you'll get your next copy and away you go. I'm going to tug on your heartstrings for a moment. But I think this is important. Folks, this is from the feedback page from a couple of years ago. It says, I've been subscribing to Creation Magazine for some years. It's been a constant source of blessing. You'd be pleased to know that one of my grandsons gave his heart to the Lord and was born again after reading about the Grand Canyon. You see, he had some sort of a block in his mind and removed that barrier and he gave his life to Christ. Folks, I was giving a presentation a couple of years ago in Abbotsford. And after I finished my presentation, a 93-year-old grandma came up to me, and she came up to me and she said, Clarence, I get three subscriptions to the magazine, but I don't get them at all at home. I thought, well, why not? She said, I give them to my children and my grandchildren because this is the only Christian material that gets into their homes. And then she grabbed me and she pulled me close. You know why this is important? Because it matters for eternity. That grandma got it, folks. 
You can gift the Creation magazine to a child, a friend, a neighbor. You may have a relative who lives in Saskatoon, and you don't know their address tonight. Don't worry about it. Just put their name down, and we'll figure out what their address is. We'll phone you later about that. I'm going to ask the actors, if you'd be so kind, if you could deliver now. This is the information sign-up thing that you need for the Creation magazine. It's really simple. All you need to do is, when it comes by, just tear off one of those little yellow forms. You're going to fill in the information on the front and on the back. You're going to sign it, and you're going to bring it to my wife back there, and she will set you up with a subscription to the Creation magazine. Folks, I want to be serious for a minute here. Is there someone in your family that you can think of that's going to need this information? I want you to think about that. I said I was a teacher. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think I told my students to study for tests? Did I, I did. I told my kids you got to study. Why is that? Do you know that within two and a half weeks, you'll have forgotten 80% of everything that I've said tonight? You know why? Because we all suffer from this monster. This is called the forgetting curve. Folks, if we don't do anything about it, we'll forget it. But you know what? If we do review, we'll actually remember more. So I would very graciously like to ask, can I just show you some of the great equipping things we have at CMI? This is the number one resource book. It is the Creation Answers book. It answers 60 of the most commonly asked questions. It's the go-to thing. It's something that you want to have a look at because it's going to answer those questions. This one is Christianity for Skeptics. It answers these six theological questions. Chapter 2 is important. If there is a God, then why do bad things happen? If you're a believer tonight, you need to be able to answer that question because if you can't answer that question, people are going to say, well, why would I want to believe in a God that allows these bad things to happen? If you'd like to buy them together, this is very popular. We put them together as a faith pack at a reduced price. You get both of those books together. This is the Genesis account. It is the most comprehensive commentary ever written, I believe, on Genesis chapters 1 to 11. It's outstanding. There's books for youth out there. I'll be talking about dinosaurs later, but there's dinosaurs, geology, the solar system, which is the grade 10 science curriculum in B.C., we had this wonderful children's pack. You get five hard-covered books. And this morning when we were in a church, they bought all of them. There was nothing left. And so we started taking orders for the children's pack. If you'd like to get a children's pack, my wife will have a form for you. You can just simply fill it out, and we will ship out the books to you with no shipping and handling, and we'll get those to you as soon as we can. But we did sell out. I brought a whole box full of them, and they're all gone already. It's a wonderful thing. There's some great teaching DVDs back there. And here's a brand new release. I think this is going to be one of the most important books that's ever been written on creation and evolution. It's called The Question of Origins. It actually covers the material that we cover in Science 9, 10, 11, and 12 in the BC curriculum. It's very well written. It's an excellent resource. Or maybe you might be interested in the library pack, which just contains everything. Ten books, DVDs, you see all the great stuff there. And they take 33% off the price. And this is what they give it at, at that price. Now... I just want to end this very, um, I think I want, I've gone over about two minutes here, but I want to leave you with a very important exhortation before we take a break. For the time will come when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itchy ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Folks, is this the, what we're experiencing today in our culture? Instead, I would encourage us that we should do this. Your faith should not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Amen? Amen. Thank you so much. We're going to take a little break here for about 15 minutes, and then you can go look at some of the resources, stretch, and then when we come back, we'll call you back. And what are we going to talk about? Dinosaurs. Dinosaurs. <laughs> Fantastic. All right, let's take a break. <laughs>